Well, hey, everybody, we are in week two of Reply All. This is in response of the Easter survey that thousands of people filled out during the Easter weekend, not only here in Lufkin, but our Dieball and Duncan locations. And uh, we are responding with messages on what you wanted to hear that the Bible says about some very important topics. And today is no exception. It's going to, I believe this is going to be a fantastic and life-changing day for many people. Uh, Today, it's my privilege to introduce to you a very good friend of mine, a fellow pastor. We grew up Uh, college together, ministry together for the last 20 years, Uh, him being in Arizona and Texas and and, uh, the Carolinas and me being in Kansas and Texas, but we've stayed in close communication. He's a friend. Uh, I look up to him. He's an author. He's a communicator. He pastors Faith Church in Houston, Texas. They're going through a huge building project. God's just growing the church. It's amazing. And and he is going to tackle the topic today. You are in for a very special session. Sunday. Come on, everybody. Put your hands together for my friend, Nathan Rouse. You guys living the dream? Okay, 11 o'clock, a little more awake than the earlier service. Other ones need some espresso or something from the cafe. Man, good to be hanging out with you. I was here last fall hanging out with uh, Pastor Jeremy, and uh, we just had a good time kind of talking about what God was doing. We were dreaming, strategizing about what God was doing in our individual church families, and so it's great to be finally be in the same same room with you. I'm convinced that Pastor uh, Jeremy had me come in this week so that when I get done preaching, you're like, I can't wait for Pastor Jeremy to get back here and start preaching again. So please don't amen that too loud, okay? Um, hey, I just thought I'd kind of introduce a little bit about myself just so you know the guy, the words that are flying out of my mouth. Who is this guy? What is he all about? Just should share, uh, kind of here's a brief photo of my family uh, I wanted to bring up, and I thought I'd let you check this out. So um, if you're kind of wondering who my wife is, she's on the left, uh, just so you're not confused by that. It'd be weird if there was anybody else in that picture that's my wife. But anyway, on the left, that's my wife, Erin. She's, she's not just my better half. She's probably like the better 75% of this whole life package thing going on right now. My oldest son, is there? he's the tall one. This is taken about a year ago. So he's like blown up, and he's now like 6'1". He's an inch taller than I am. Now when we hug, he insists that his arms get to go over my shoulders now. <laughs> he loves to rub it in. Um, and then the guy in the red, that is Landon. He's my youngest uh, because Ethan's my oldest. That would make sense probably logically. Um, and then Landon in the red, he is our theater guy. He loves acting. He's always coming up with characters. Um, Friday. Uh, fr- <laughs> Sorry, my fault. User error. Um, <laughs> Friday on the way up. Friday on the way up to Dallas, I'm driving up, and I call Aaron, just kind of check on them and see how things are going. And all of a sudden, my youngest son, Landon, he's in the red. He leans over my wife's shoulder and starts trying to talk into the phone that she's talking to with me. And um, she, all of a sudden, I hear him talking, like, what is he saying? He, and he's, he's like, oh, he's been acting like a Russian assassin for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> so then he grabs the phone for my wife. He's like, hello, I will kill you. <laughs> Don't make me. I will do it. And, it, and she gets the phone back. She's like, she's been, he's been making me call, call him Yuri for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> so that's the jacked upness going on in my home. I don't know what's going on with you. Uh, and then right over here, this dog sitting on the ground, just a uh, random dog in the neighborhood came over, sat down. <laughs> We're like, okay, let's take it. Uh, no, he's part schnauzer, schnauzer, part poodle, which makes him a schnoodle. <laughs> Real thing. That's a real thing. So to balance out the schnoodleness, we call them Sarge, just to kind of, you know, compensate for the schnoodleness. 
Anyway, he's pretty good. Um, hey. All right. Let's go. Hi there. <laughs> Man, week two of this series in Reply All, we are tackling a massive question. And I know the setup earlier, we talked about we're going to be kind of talking, ta- uh, tackling a sensitive topic this morning. Um, we're answering the question, how do we overcome a deep wound? How do we overcome a deep wound? I- I've got to believe that in this room, there are countless wounds. There's no way in a church this size you can't have stories that are sprinkled out across this room, stories that families know about, stories that are secrets, that are hidden, that only you know about. But there are stories in this room, there are wounds in this room, and there's wounds of all sizes. There's some that are more day-to-day, week-to-week surface things that we can kind of, we don't like that, don't appreciate that, but I'm able to kind of move past it. But then there are some wounds in life that happen that are massive, that uh, cut so deep and sometimes take a long time to find healing. And what I want to talk to you today is about how, what is, how does God call us to, where is he leading us in it all when we've been wounded by an individual? How many know, how many know we are broken, dysfunctional people? Yeah. How many know, yeah, if you didn't raise your hand, that's a problem. <laughs> if you didn't see, if you saw somebody didn't raise their hand, you just go, you're jacked up, you are. Yeah, I saw you do that. Okay, so we are, and it starts from a very young age. We are in, we're, we're rebellious, broken people. When I was, um, when I was younger as a dad, uh, Landon, remember the Russian assassin? Um, we were out front, and um, we were out front of my house, and he was riding a red, how many of them, not just the Red Rider wagons, but the Red Rider tricycle, right, right? And guy edition, no streamers in the handlebars. And so he's, he's riding this thing in front of the house. And just so I could stay in eye shot with him, I just said, hey, you can only go this far. I set up a line. I said, okay, just, just don't go any farther than this line on the sidewalk. And then I walked over farther in the front of the house and just said, hey, don't come past this line. So he gets on his tricycle. He's whipping back and forth. He's having a good time. Ethan, my oldest, is playing in the yard, playing with a ball or something, prophesying how tall he's going to be at some point in the, light in the future. But my youngest, son, my youngest son, Landon, is going back and forth, and all of a sudden, I look up in the middle of him, you know, the, the tricycle going, all of a sudden, he stops, and he gets this big smile on his face, and he looks over at me, one of those, like, I'm about to do something that's fun in his mind. So he, all of a sudden, he takes his tricycle all the way over to the line I had laid out for him. And he takes his tricycle wheel all the way up to the line and stops right at the line. And then he just kind of stares at me. And then with, he puts some pressure on the pedal and goes, Eeky, right over the line. And then I'm looking at him going, buddy. He's like, Eeky. And then he's smiling at me. He's like, Eeky, Eeky, Eeky. Apparently WD-40 is needed on the tricycle too. Even at three years old, he was <clears throat> breaking things. He was breaking boundaries. And if we're breaking boundaries with our parents, we're breaking boundaries with God, it's, it's surely inevitable that we're going to break one another. We're going to wound one another. Um, and so many times in our lives, there's collateral damage. That picture that you saw of my family is, is not just, oh, man, there's the dream pick, dad, wife, um, two kids, and a dog. Um, it's, that's not a picture that's, that's a perfect picture of a life lived. Man, my wife and I have walked through some deep waters 
some of those deep waters, some of those valleys, some of those wounds we walked through when we were in our early childhood. I knew my wife was the one for me. We went out to Outback Steakhouse on our first date. I know, big spender. And uh, even bought an appetizer. Somebody give me a what what. And uh, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. So we're talking. I knew what she, when she was for me, when, um, I, she, when I told her how messed up my family was, oh, she goes, you think that's crazy? Listen to this. And so the whole, for an hour and a half, we're going back and forth. I go, I can marry this girl. She gets crazy. She gets crazy. And so, um, but, but our lives, that picture is just not a good representation of the whole of our lives. You know, the, the, the pictures you see on social media um, that you're comparing yourself to are, are, are self-edited lives being presented to you. They're not a representation of life. And that picture I showed you earlier is not a representation of my whole story. You see, I've got some, I had some deep wounds that needed healing by God. My mom uh, married my dad when she was 17 years old. She was pregnant with me. And um, about uh, a few months after they were married, my dad walked out and says marriage wasn't for him. He said, I'm out of here. And she walked through, she had me, thankfully, um, and leaned into her life. But that whole, after my dad walked out, she was walking around with a ton of rejection and uh, just a massive wound in her own life. So she sought to fill that hole and that gap in her own life through trying to find love and affection through other men. So even as a kid, as a lone kid in that house with my mom, um, there was countless men coming in and out of our home as she sought to try love and affection and approval. She just wanted to be wanted. And I found in eight years, when I was eight years old, um, third grade at Gardens Elementary in Pasadena, Texas, there was a teacher there that, man, I really, really liked. I thought he was the coolest teacher. Um, I loved going to his class. But later, after the first part of that year, he took advantage of that trust. He took advantage of the respect I had for him and sexually abused me during the school year that year. Toward the end of that school year, headed into nine years old, I was sexually abused by another individual at the uh, child care center that I would go to before and after school. I explained to somebody later on, I felt like I had a t-shirt on that said, you can take advantage of me. You can abuse me. And so what I did with that is um, I tried to take it and, and shove it down into a box inside of me. I didn't tell a soul. I wouldn't tell a soul because uh, I didn't want anybody to know what I had done. You see what I did there? I, I made what had been done to me as what I had done. And I took that shame and I shoved it into a box and like a trash compactor, tried to shove it so deep, so, so far down so that no one would be able, able to see it that started into a, a spiraling of dysfunction and brokenness, of sexual dysfunction in, in my own life, of, of seeing women not as a, a God-intended gift from God, but as one people, uh, of, of uh, individuals to take from. Just brokenness. Alongside that was just a parallel of anger, just fueled of anger. Um, why did this happen to me? I was angry at everybody. I was angry at my, at my mom for not protecting me. I was angry at the one who had hurt me. I was angry at God. How could you let this happen to me? I was just angry. But I didn't let that show. I kept that push down in the box because I had it all, had it all together. How do you bounce back from a wound like that? 
No doubt, maybe your wound doesn't run that deep. Maybe you've not walked through waters like that. Maybe it's, it's something else. Maybe your, your wound is decades ago. Maybe it's Friday night fresh in the room. Maybe it's something going on in your marriage where you've been betrayed. Maybe it's a mother and father that walked out and wasn't there for you. Maybe it's a son or daughter that's not giving you the love and respect. and You gave your everything for them, and they've now walked away from you. Could be a stranger, could be anybody, but maybe you're walking around with a wound. And I want to talk to you, listen to me. God, God wants to bring healing to you. At Timber Creek, it's okay to not be okay, but God doesn't intend for you to stay that way. He wants you to take you from glory to glory and healing. And so what, no matter where you are, whether you're here in this room, whether you're at Dieball or Duncan, God wants to bring healing uh, in your world. Uh, and what he longs to bring healing to your life and take you to the next place. And so that's where I want us to go, uh, go today. Jesus starts talking about in Matthew chapter 18 kind of what it's like as a, uh, an individual in relationships. And what you're going to hear Jesus say is kind of counterintuitive. We've got a certain way that when we hurt or sin against each other, we have a certain way that our culture teaches this is how you do things. Jesus doesn't do it like that. Listen to this. Matthew chapter uh, 18 verse 15 says this. If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Many of us have grown up in a culture where the one that's done the wrong is supposed to come to you and admit they're wrong and apologize. That's the culture we've grown up. When you were a kid, when you did something wrong, your mom or your dad, you hit your brother, you hit your sister, popped him in the face because they deserved it or just because they looked at you wrong, whatever. Um, that you were the one that did the wrong has to come to the person that was wrong and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, and that, that whole deal. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that when someone sins against you, you are to go to them. You are to go to them. Now, let me just qualify that, that there's a couple of times when that's many times not possible, right? Here, here's two major qualifiers. There are sometimes when it's not safe to go to that person, when it's not safe for you or your family to go into that and have that conversation. That, that, that wouldn't be safe. And there are sometimes just practically it's impossible because that person maybe has already passed away and died. You cannot have that one-on-one -on -one conversation with them. So I re we recognize that. But the question you gotta ask yourself is why would Jesus say, if you've been sinned against, you go and talk to them. And I think the reason is, it's because God wanted to put us to be proactively dealing with the wounds in our life. Have you ever hurt someone's feelings and not known it? Have you ever wounded somebody you didn't know it? And then maybe they hold on to it for months or a year or whatever. I had one time somebody hold on and say they, uh, they, left their ch they left our church and they came back like a year and a half later and they came back and said, Pastor, we left our church because on one Sunday in the foyer, I smiled at you and I waved at you. I said, hey, and you ignored me. I said, I don't remember that. I never would do that to anybody. I, I apologize. He, I said, how long have you been walking around this? It's like a year and a half. So it's an example that many of us, we think Jesus wants to put us in a situation of being proactive so that when we're sinned against, we're proactive. Listen, you are a part of your healing. You have a part to play in your healing. So Jesus says, when you've been sinned against or you've been wounded, you have a role to play. In, in going and bringing conversation and connection. No doubt not every Matthew 18 conversation um, is received well. We know sometimes it goes sideways. We know sometimes it's not received. But, but for the most part, when we step into conversation, hey, I need to share with you. I was wounded. I was hurt when you. We need to talk. Many times it's the first step toward healing. The ultimate goal at the end of all this 
the ultimate end of this goal is God wants to bring you to a place of healing and the byproduct of healing with a wound at the end of it all is forgiveness. That's the end result. God is not moving just to heal you, to move on so you can kind of get past the junk and dysfunction of your past and that you can kind of hold on. No, the end result is not just moving forward, it's forgiveness then moving forward. Forgiveness then moving forward. Now I know if you're like me, the first time I began to think about having to forgive um, my abuser, my abusers, the first time I began to think, I thought, thought there's no way. Are you kidding me? You imagine what's been said and done to me? The shame I've walked around with, the anger I feel, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way, I remember saying this out, there's no way in hell I'm going to ever forgive that person. But ultimately, that's the healthy byproduct of forgiveness, uh, of healing in a wound is, is forgiveness. Listen to Jesus talk about it in Matthew chapter 18 verse 21, um, Peter asked Jesus on this whole idea of forgiveness. He says this, he says, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Peter thinks he's being super gracious. As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, 77 times. In, in the Babylonian Talmud, the traditional Talmud that Peter would have heard his rabbi talk about, the tradition was taught to forgive someone three Three, so Peter thinks he's being extremely gracious and full of grace and forgiveness to go, well, what if I forgave him seven times? Isn't that loving? And now Jesus says no. He, Jesus uses hyperbole here. He says no. He says 77 times. And is Jesus really talking about a real number? No. He's taking his number, using the number, blowing it up, and said, you're thinking about a graph. You're thinking about keeping track. I'm saying throw the graph, throw the Excel spreadsheet out, and come to a place of simply forgiving forgiving. You see, you've got to remember that in these days, in the Christian faith, we hear about God's grace and forgiveness all the time, all the time. We talk about forgiveness all the time. This is amazing grace. We've seen it earlier. We, we talk about forgiveness and grace all the time, but when Jesus is talking about it, it's radically earth-shaking. They didn't have the perspective of forgiveness and radical grace, and so now Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm pouring out my grace, and you're going to pour out grace as well. So Jesus has seized the disciples are struggling with this, and he goes right into this next parable, trying to get them to understand this concept. Um, it says this, Matthew chapter 18, verse 23, Jesus goes into this parable. Here it is. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Imagine that being as like $100,000. Um, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me um, and I'll pay, you, I'll pay you everything. And listen to this. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Think, think 20 bucks in comparison. Um, and, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. Does that sound familiar? He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly, greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. 
I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to, to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus wraps it up with this. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So Jesus gives this parable of a guy who owns, let's say, $100,000, and this master says, you're going to pay it up, or I'm going to throw you and your family in jail. And the guy says, please give me time, I can pay it back. And the master has pity on him and says, doesn't just give him more time, he for forgives the entire debt and says, go on your way. That same guy that gets that debt forgiven walks out and then chokes a fellow servant down for 20 bucks and has him thrown in jail. And Jesus is trying to make this point, listen, the same grace that I give you, you've been called to give it to others. You see, many of us, are we walk around with, we, we're, we sing about this amazing grace, we like God's amazing grace toward us, but when it comes to grace um, given out to others, it's not that amazing. People gotta pay a price before we start giving grace out. But God's not called you to be a reservoir. A reservoir is built to hold and contain. God's not called you to be a reservoir of his amazing grace. You've been called to be a river. Not everything God gives you is just for you. Hear me. Not everything God gives you is just for you. That goes for your money as well. Not everything God gives you is just for you. That goes for his grace as well. God instead wants you to be a river so that when you experience his amazing grace, you, you truly experience the amazing grace of God when you finally extend it a high price to someone else. That's when you've experienced amazing grace truly in your life. Jesus just kept hammering this point home because he knew how broken and dysfunctional we are that we would have a hard time with us. In Matthew chapter 6, the disciples find uh, Jesus praying early in the morning, and Jesus is, is, is he's doing his thing. He's praying before the Father, and they say, teach us to pray. How many, did anybody ever grow up memorizing the Lord's Prayer? Remember Matthew chapter 6? Our Father, who art in heaven. We all memorized it in King James. Isn't that weird? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Uh, as it is in heaven, um, give us this day our daily bread. And here it is in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What is Jesus saying in that prayer? He says, forgive us, Lord, at the same pace that we forgive other people. That's the word. Forgive us, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins as we, at the same pace, as we forgive other people. In fact, this is the only part at the end of that prayer that Jesus actually has to go um, back to. Jesus wraps up the Lord's Prayer, and then he goes back to this very point, verse 14. For if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, neither will your Father forgive your sins. So why is... Why is God drawing such a hard line when it comes to us forgiving? I mean, doesn't, this, doesn't he know, you know, if you've ever heard people get challenged about doing something Jesus would do, and you go, I ain't Jesus, I can't. I ain't Jesus. But in fact, isn't that what God's longing for us to become sanctified, becoming more and more like him? So the call is always a high call of love and grace and forgiveness 
Why is God drawing a line here saying, I want you to forgive? Because it's only when you truly understand the, the radical thing that God has done for us, that God the Father sent his only son, Jesus, to live the life that you and I could not live, die the death that we deserve, and then rose from the grave so that anyone that would place, that, that would lean the weight of their life on Jesus would be saved. This is the thing that God calls us to, and God's grace doesn't truly become amazing to us, till we know what it's like to supernaturally extend that grace to someone else that's wounded us. I think there's, there's, a, there's a ton of reasons why we might not extend grace and forgiveness to other people. I think one of the things is that we truly don't understand what forgiveness is. We have a misconception of what it is. So let's first talk about what forgiveness is not. Here it is. Forgiveness is not saying that what's been done is okay. Forgiveness is not saying that what's been done is okay. A lot of people hold back from, from um, forgiving someone else because they think if I forgive them, it's like giving them a free pass and think it's all right, it's not a big deal. If I forgive them, they're going to do it again or do it to somebody else. If I forgive them, it's like not honoring uh, me or others they've hurt. No, no, no. Forgiveness is not saying that what's been done to us is okay. What's another reason people don't forgive? I think some people don't end up forgiving is because they don't recognize that they're not okay. I, over the last 20-something years in ministry, I have ministered to countless people that walked around acting like they were okay, when inevitably they were leaking. About um, 11 or 12 years ago, I realized through some things that began to happen that I was leaking. Remember that box I talked about, that trash compactor of all the junk and dysfunction, the, dysfunction, the, the, the pain, all that stuff that was happening in my life was being going down in the, into the, the box and I was pressing it down. What I, what I thought was, is I, had to, I got this disease, I got this. Nobody has to be a, a, in the know of this. I got this, other people go through worse things and I've got this all in a box and I'm, I'm holding it, I got the lid on tight, I'm gonna sit on top of it, but I didn't realize is that I was leaking. That toxicity, that bitterness, that wound, it was all leaking. It was leaking in my marriage and how I dealt with my wife. Um, it was leaking in my parenting and how I dealt with my sons. It was leaking in my ministry, in, my, in, my, in the workplace. It was leaking out in my friendships. It was leaking everywhere. It was leaking everywhere. But I thought, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Maybe the first step for you is this. The first step toward overcoming a past wound is acknowledging you have one. The first step toward um, uh, uh, dealing and finding healing in a past wound is acknowledging you have one. You've got to get honest with yourself. You've got to get honest that you're walking around with baggage, that there's something going on in you, that you don't have this, that you don't have it all under control. This next thought, if you're taking notes, when it comes to overcoming the wounds of our past, sometimes we need to ask others to help us in the journey. Sometimes we've got to invite some other people in. That, that, that time I told you about 11 or 12 years ago when I began to realize I was leaking, I realized I don't have this. This is not under control. The thing that I thought was in this box, I thought I had it locked down. It's not that big of a deal. I'm good. I was, it, was, it was rippling in every part of my life, and I realized I cannot do this on my own. So I began to invite some people into my life. I remember going to a trusted Christian brother, and I began to, I sat down with him. His name was Joe, and I sat down and I said, Joe, I need to share something with you that I have never shared with anyone in my life. And I literally, I prayed about it. I knew that I needed to have this conversation with somebody. And I'm telling you, my mouth was shaking as I started to try to share it out loud. 
I was freakishly afraid of being rejected, of being looked at as a freak. I was afraid. The next person I invited in my life was some pastoral leadership from the church family I was a part of. I went to my pastor and said, hey, can we talk? And I just began to, that, that first, that moment, that sharing with Joe created momentum for me to share and invite other people in. Um, the next person I invited in was professional Christian counselor. Listen, I'm a huge advocate for Christian counseling. We need godly gifted men and women that can help us navigate, navigate us out of the woods of depression and discouragement and wounds in our lives. And so I've, my life has been changed by gifted men and women of God in this area. Listen, maybe the next step for you is inviting somebody into the conversation. Maybe the next step for you is getting honest and saying, you know what, I need help. My marriage needs help. We need help. I need help. We need to, I need to navigate this out with some other trusted. You're, God's not calling you to be a lone ranger in your faith. You're not, you don't, uh, many people don't get honest about where they're at because they think it's not, you're not a strong Christian if you show vulnerability. You're not a strong Christian if you don't always have the smile. Hello, brother. Hi, I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. <laughs> I'm really on the inside. You've got a toxic acid eating away at, the, at your soul. Part of the way of growing in Christian community whether it's in groups here at, at Timber Creek or whatever, or the Encounter Weekends, part of, part of being a part of a church family is getting vulnerable and trusting one another to take emotional, spiritual risk. Say, I need help. I'm, I'm, I'm not okay. I need other people in, in my life. So if forgiveness is not um, giving someone a pass and saying it's okay, what is forgiveness? Here it is. This is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is giving up our right for payback and giving it over to God. Forgiveness is giving up our right for payback and giving it over to God. It, it's not your calling the, the, to, to bring vengeance to other people. The Word of God says that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Listen to me. God is much better at vengeance than you are. And God will deal with whatever's been done to you. He'll do it in one of two ways. He'll either deal with, he's, he's either dealt with it at the cross by the, by the Father pouring his wrath as a just God out on his only son onto the cross. That penalty has either been taken care of there or it will be taken care of in hell. But I promise you that what's been done to you will be vengeed. But you're not wired for it. You're not wired. You and I are not wired spiritually and physically and emotionally for vengeance. We're not. We're not. So why not give over to God what is his and let him do the heavy lifting in your life? I could sit here and try to give you reasons about why you ought to forgive that, that abuser, that spouse, that mom, that dad, that coworker, that friend, that uncle, that aunt, that cousin, that pastor. I could give you a lot of reasons. I could try to convince you why you ought to give them a break. I could tell you they didn't grow up in a household that um, taught them those things. They didn't have the life, emotional skills to do it. I could tell you, I could try to convince you and try to help you find a way to pity them so you'll finally forgive them. But Jesus doesn't call us, he doesn't call us to forgive based on the person being worthy. He calls us to forgive because we have been forgiven. We have been forgiven. Forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. 
The grace of God becomes truly amazing not when we simply receive it from him, but when we extend it to others that have wounded us. Uh, I, I, back in that time when I was leaking, um, one of the ways that I um, dealt with that was um, simply throwing myself into work. We were in Arizona at the time. The, the, um, my ministry fellowship invited me to come plant a church in uh, the woodlands in Texas. I sold my home in Phoenix uh, and moved my wife and my uh, kids all the way down. We sold that home in Phoenix and, and we built a house in the area that we were gonna plant a church. We were sold out. We were following and obeying God. God, we're ready to plant a church and we get down there. The house, the, is, uh, is fa- the foundation's down. The house is framed. It's amazing. We're dreaming. We're praying out for community. We're praying for streets. We're excited about community. When all of a sudden the fellowship that invited me down said, hey, Nathan, we need to talk with you. We made a mistake. We've given that area to somebody else. My wife and I walked out of that district office weeping in tears and and cussing. We were cussing. I will tell you, we were cussing. (laughs) Confession, repent. The byproduct of all that was that burn, that leaking just went on exponentially. You see, listen to me, when pressure gets dialed up in your life, it only squeezes out what's really going on in your life. And so what, what happened is I began to kind of, I had to find a job. Like, man, I'm not going to, I'm going to find it. I jumped into a corporate uh, job, and I began to throw myself into that. I was traveling all over the country uh, four or five times a week. I was gone all the time. But one of the ways I escaped was I detached from my marriage. I detached as a dad. And, and, and I just, I really got to a point of that anger that I felt about life and honestly anger toward God. I began to take it out on my wife. I began to detach and pull back. I, I wasn't abusive with words. I wasn't physically abusive or anything. I just withdrew. I withdrew as a dad from my kids. I withdrew from my marriage. And it deeply wounded my wife at a time when she needed her husband and a a father in the home. Uh, She gave me one time a picture on Father's Day during that time. And it was a picture of the boys on my back. They were riding my back like a horse. And she put it in a frame and says, world's greatest dad. And I remember tearing up when she handed it to me because I knew it was a lie. I honestly didn't know if our marriage was going to make it. Maybe you just need to hit the reset button, start over. But all of a sudden, God began to, I began to get help. I began to invite others in. I began to find, speak with a counselor, and I realized, I mean, I needed it. I needed help. And so God began to do some things in me. And then I, as God was doing some things in me, I went to Aaron. I said, sweetheart, you know, forgive me. I, I've been, I've, been, I've been a jerk. I've, been, I've, I've wounded you. I've hurt you so bad. And you know, in that time when I went to my wife, she was so angry. She was so hurt. She couldn't even look me in the eye while I was talking. She was crying. I remember she was crying and her head was looking away. She couldn't even look me in the eye. She was so angry. I slept in another room for months in that house. My wife, we were just, we were, we were passing in the night. We were, we, we were so broken, so hurt. I thought there's no way we're going to make it. But I kept looking to God. Finally, in a, a McDonald's and a Walmart in the Woodlands. Hey, God can do things in crazy places. We're sitting in there, and I remember uh, Landon was, you know, in a high chair. He's like throwing fries across the room. Both Aaron and I are so fried and so done, we don't even care. Like, let him just destroy the place. <laughs> We're just staring off. We're, it's just... Till Aaron finally looks up, and I'll never forget this, till Aaron finally looks up, And she said, 
Nathan, what you did hurt. But I love you. And I want to tell you right now, right here, and she even said right here in this McDonald's, I love you and I forgive you. Let's move forward. Guys, listen to me. When she did that, she, she, she had this key, those words in that mouth. Well, she, had, she had this key, and I remember it was like placing that key in, the, in, the, in the, the handcuffed heart mechanism of my heart, and she turned that key of forgiveness, and all of a sudden, I found freedom. I've been paralyzed forever under that, under that bitterness and unforgiveness. But it didn't just bring freedom for it didn't just bring freedom for me. When she said those words, it also brought freedom for her. See, I wonder, I wonder today if we'll, we could realize this powerful truth that forgiveness is giving the same key of grace that God has given us. It's us giving that key of grace to someone else. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's your son or daughter. Maybe it's a mom or dad. Maybe it's a spiritual leader. Maybe it's a, a, a group leader. Maybe it's a, a friend, a distant family member. Maybe you've written somebody off. What if the next, listen, listen, Timber Creek believes in taking next steps. What if the next step for you is to own that you've got an issue, own that there's a wound? Maybe the next step for you is inviting somebody in. It's talking to a counselor, and talking to a friend, talking to a pastor here at the leadership team. Maybe, maybe the next step for you is seeing a counselor, of stepping into some real healing of deep waters with someone that can help you navigate out of the woods. Maybe the next step for you is turning the key and saying, I forgive. I give up my right for payback, and I give that to God. Let's move forward. Maybe for you, You've, you've held Jesus back at a distance. You've, it's been hard for you to take the love of God seriously because what life, the cards life has dealt you. Maybe they're at Dieball and Duncan. You find yourself wondering, man, could God ever do something to me? How could I even believe that? You know what's happened to me? Listen to me. What if the very first step to you finding healing in your world is you experiencing Jesus turn the key in your own bondages? Jesus said, I've come to bring freedom to the captives. And he that the Son has set free is free indeed. What's your next step? It's all about all of us, different journey, different place. It's just your calling in this moment to you, for you to be obedient about your next step. Your next step. Let me pray for you today. Jesus, you love these men and women here. You love... God, all those here that right now they're, they're, they're hurting. Some are acknowledging for the first time in a long time or the first time in all that, that there's a wound that they need to deal with. Some need to take a next step of inviting others in to the conversation. Some need to finally take the step of instead of holding someone hostage in unforgiveness, they need to simply bring forgiveness. I love you. I forgive you. Let's move forward. And maybe for some today, they need to step in salvation and allow Jesus to turn the key of bondage in their own life. Listen to me. You are loved unconditionally by God. 
trying to earn God's love is like trying to earn the air you breathe. You cannot earn God's love. You are loved radically and desperately by God. You are loved by Him. Don't allow your circumstances to determine how much God cares about you. In this moment, come and receive. Some of you need to place your faith, lean the entire weight of your life on Jesus for the very first time. Jesus, you came and lived the life I couldn't live. You died the death I, I deserved. You rose from the grave, Jesus. I lean the weight of my life. Jesus, save me. Make me a new creation. Forgive me of my sins. Turn the key on my shackles and set me free so I can know what it's like to turn the key for someone else. In Jesus' name, amen.